Hi, and welcome to the I Am First podcast. This is a podcast where we explore the narratives of first-gen faculty, staff, and students here at George Mason. My name is Nakia Waters, she, her, and I am the Assistant Director of First Generation Student Support within the First Gen Plus Center. And I have a guest here today. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, my name is Malcolm Priester. I am a communications major minoring in African and African American studies and women and gender studies. And I'm also concentrating in media production and media criticism. Um, I'm a part of the BMSI. I am admin. I'm also a part of ARI and the Pride Alliance. So. Cool. All right. So, Malcolm, we're going to just dive right in today. We're going to talk a little bit about your first gen story. We also have a topic that we're going to talk about today. So um, tell me about your experience so far, your first gen experience so far at Mason. Um, my first gen experience here at Mason has been an experience in its entirety. Um, I would say it's been hard navigating different spaces, being the first person within my family to get higher education, um, finances, um, academics, and then just every other aspect that you could expect with navigating um, a university for your university for the first time. A lot of my family went to trade school. Um, my dad was a truck driver for the longest time, and then he wanted to open up his own business with my stepmother. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite a challenge, especially when you um, think about the finances. And then I did not expect this to be this rough, but it has been um, very growing, if that makes any sense. I've had a lot of growth through all of these experiences, so I really do appreciate it. Okay, so you said you, you grew. Are there any other positive aspects or, um, like, a lot of people like to ask, what's your first-gen superpower, you know? So it's been rough. There's been some finance issues. I think we all can relate to that, especially being um, first-gen. But um, what do you think has got you to this point that you are now? Mm. <laughs> um, I think what has gotten me to this point now has been um, community, um, having people that you can rely on, having spaces such as this one that you can like come to, um, and people who have already navigated those experiences and can like help you out to the best of their abilities. Um, that has been something, and resilient, um, knowing that I am where I am supposed to be, um, and that it's okay to not get it right the first time. It's okay to, you know, mess up here and there. Um, because that's all about, that's what life is about. So, yes. Thank you for that. Um, so you talked about not getting it right. And so one of the uh, the topic that we wanted to talk about today is imposter syndrome. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, so... I know that's something that I've dealt with. A lot of first-gen students often deal with it. So I think the first thing I want to do is give this definition of it um, and then kind of process the definition and the history of it. Um, so this particular definition says, the definition of imposter syndrome is feeling inadequate in professional-related endeavors despite having more than enough expertise and experience in a certain area. In other words, the meaning of imposter syndrome is such that high achievers or people who excel feel consistently inadequate or fraudulent despite contrary evidence. Um, and this term was... Uh, 
made by two doctors back in the late 70s, um, Drs. Clance and Dr. Imes, I think that's how you say her name. Um, they originally did a study on 100 women in academia and other um, uh, professional c careers. Um, and this is based off of high achieving women. That's what it was originally made uh, as. Uh, and also I wanna highlight that Drs. Clance and Imes are white women. Um, I don't know the demographics of the women that they studied, but I can make some assumptions in the late 70s that there may not have been a lot of people of color, a lot of queer folk. Um, but I don't know that for a fact. That's something I have to do a little bit more research on. Um, but that's just the definition and a little bit of the history. They called it imposter phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I like to to use, I like to say imposter phenomenon or imposterism, because when you say imposter syndrome, it kind of feels like I'm afflicted with something. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I've been getting away from using the word syndrome when I'm, I'm describing it. So when I say imposter syndrome, what comes up for you? Uh, um, what comes up for me would be my academic experience in its entirety. Um, I want to say in the beginning half of coming here to George Mason, I did not feel like I wasn't supposed to be here. Um, it wasn't until I went, I studied abroad at Oxford University. Um, and at times I was just like, you know, am I supposed to be here? Um, do I fit in these spaces? Um, can these spaces fit with me? Um, there was a lot of times where I was just like, oh, I'm getting accepted. Like, I remember when I got my acceptance letter, I um, was shocked. Even though my academics speak for itself and my drive, my work ethic, um, all speaks to the person that I am and the quality of work that I push out and I produce. Um, that was like the hardest, the hardest thing that I ever um, had to sit with because um, I don't know, I have never felt, cause it's like a, it's like a, um, an insecurity. And even though people around you are telling you that you deserve to be here and that you are deserving of having this space, you yourself don't feel like you um, are deserving of being within that area. Um, not to toot my own horn, but Oxford is the no, number one. No, toot your own horn, okay? <laughs> toot your own horn, beep beep. Thank you. Um, Oxford is the number one university in the world. Um, and... Uh, Paralleling that to me being at George Mason, I was like, you know, the quality difference is it's it's big, and I don't know. I just wasn't feeling like I needed to be there. But as I started to um, go throughout my journey of that semester in Oxford, um, from the tutors to like the people that I would meet there, um, I realized that you do deserve to be here and you are in a space where um, you belong, you belong here, so. Okay, yeah, I I did not feel any imposter syndrome until I got to college. I went to, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it because I think it's important to acknowledge that um, sometimes we feel like imposters in certain spaces. I know the definition said um, 
that it's uh, work-related, like work endeavors, professional endeavors. But I think it can be in any space that you enter. Like yes. you can um, feel like an imposter. Um, but I went to an all-black high school, and I was number ten out of two hundred and fifty people, or something like that. Um, I never questioned my intelligence. I never questioned that I was bright, that I was um, smart, that I was in, I was involved. I was in the band. I did all these other things. Um, but it wasn't until I got to college and I went to a predominantly white institution. And so I wonder how much of that plays in it. And so the institution that I went to was not originally made for black folks, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't originally made for queer folks. I identify as a black queer woman, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I wonder how much of that plays into the feelings that I felt once I got to college. Yes. Um, during my freshman year, I think it was freshman year, I was taking microeconomics. Mm-hmm. Macro was great. <laughs> micro was another <laughs> issue. And the professor... He came in and he had the test and he said that a lot of folks did bad. And he announced that he was going to be handing the test back from the top grade all the way to the lowest grade. And I was like, hmm. And I know that I didn't do well on the test. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this professor proceeded to do what he said. And I was the second to the last person called. And the like. I'm brown, but if I ha- I wasn't, <laughs> you would have saw the red all over my face. Um, and the person below me who got the lowest score was a white woman. And so I just sat there and took it. And she immediately got mad and stormed out of the room. And so I think she had went to the dean of the College of Business. And so the next class, he ended up um, apologizing, saying he wasn't going to do that again. Um and I often think if I was the last person to be called, I don't know if I would have went to the dean. I just would have sat there, been embarrassed, and like pushed myself a little, a little bit further. Um, and then from then on, I was feeling very like insecure about all of my classes, all of my grades, everything that I was doing. I, I started to second guess myself, and so I feel like that's a little bit about where my, my. Um, imposterism comes from I don't know that for a fact but I'm I'm just assuming um but it's it's funny to hear that a lot of folks have the same experiences um when they enter college did you have imposter syndrome in high school um no I'm gonna be quite frank I did not try in high school as I should (laughs) have um I actually am a transfer student so I transferred from um Thomas Nelson Community College in Hampton, Virginia, because that's where I'm originally from. Um, And then I came here. So by the time I was, I want to say the community college is what uplift me. Because um, going into college, it wasn't that I didn't think that I was prepared already. Um, Because towards the end of my high school career, I was applying myself more. It was a problem of me not applying myself to my academics. So by the time I got to community college, I was applying and I was serious about my education. Um, So going into George Mason, I was overqualified for everything that they were asking from me. Um, So I did not have that experience of like, oh, I don't think that I belong here. But then when you were speaking, it did remind me of a time where I took um, one of my media classes here. 
and this was right before I went to Oxford, and this probably contributed to um, the way that I was feeling going into Oxford. But I remember um, I tried my hardest on this one paper. We were um, creating a different theory. Um, and it was some type of like application for media and it had to do with feminism and black studies, which is like, I'm like, this is me. Um, and I failed, I failed badly. And it was just, that was a shot to everything. Cause I was like, if I can't do this, then how can I even expect to, you know, thrive in these studies while I'm at Oxford? So yes, I did have a similar experience to that though. Okay. Do you ever feel and this is um, one of the markers of imposterism, like just feeling like if I just work a little bit harder, um, do you ever, does that ever pop up for you? Yes, most definitely. Um, I'm a workaholic. I, it's bad. It's bad. Wait, what's your sign? I'm an Aries. <gasps> okay. I'm a Capricorn. Yeah, I love Capricorns. I love Capricorns. Um, yes, I'm a workaholic, so I work, 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 work. Um, even on the holidays I work, I am infamous for working. Um, so, but, uh, because I was looking at everything and I was wondering, um, how imposter syndrome connects to perfectionism and how, um, the idea of trying to be perfect in every situation and in every room that you are sitting in or you are present in, um, how that affects your attitude. Because I know that when I come to places, like for example, this podcast, um, I did a lot of research before I even um, came in here just so that I know that mm-hmm. I <laughs> am providing the information that needs to you be You don't want provided. nobody to catch you tripping. <laughs> like that's, I understand. Yes. So um, I do the same thing with my classes. If I'm not at the top of my class, then I have an issue. Um, If I'm not like in the top, not even the top like five, but like the top three, then um, that's a problem for me. I'm just like, yeah. But I sit around and I'm sorry if this is all over the place. No, it's okay. I sit around and I um, look within the room and I see people present who don't put in the same amount of work that I do, Mm -hmm. but yet get more opportunities Mm -hmm. and are more uplifted in these rooms. And they do tend to be... People who of non-color. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I do think that imposter syndrome has a heavy effect. And it's interesting that you mentioned um, that it was white women who came up with this. Because um, while I was doing, like, my feminist studies, you know that, like, the feminism was, like, the white feminism. Mm-hmm. And then you have womanism coming mm-hmm. in because um, black women just wouldn't, it, it could not fit. It just right. was no way that that could fit. Um I feel like it's the same thing with this. Um, This is a thing that I feel like people of color or people of um, minority communities have serious issues with because you want to show up in these places um, perfect. I was about to curse. But (laughs) you want to show up in these places um perfect you want to make sure that you have all of your i's dotted and your t's crossed because you already know that you are sitting at a disadvantage um when you come into these spaces and that you it's always a notion that you have to work 
10 times as harder in order to get these same opportunities mm-hmm. or in order to get the same recognition. So, yes, yes. Okay, I'm glad you, you brought up perfectionism because um, in this reading, I saw that there were different types of imposterism. So there's the expert, the soloist, which, oh, the, I think I'm the soloist. <laughs> the soloist represents a person with imposter syndrome that has extreme difficulties asking others for help. Mm. I think I, think I, I maybe I got a little bit, a couple of these here. <laughs> um, the natural genius, the superwoman or superman, and then the perfectionist. And the perfectionist represents a person with imposter syndrome that strives to be their absolute best, no matter the cost to their mental health. Mm. These individuals may be identified as typical perfectionists who set impossibly high standards for themselves. Do you think that's you? You feel attacked? (laughs) Did I personally attack you there? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, So I think after reading some of these, I think I may be the soloist and a little bit of the superwoman as well. Um, and this, this may be you too. The superwoman, superman represents a person with imposter syndrome that often struggles with work addiction. Mm. Mm, this person may feel inadequate relative to colleagues and to continue to push themselves as hard as possible regardless of the consequences on mental, physical, and emotional health. Yes. I don't want to attack you any further, so we won't <laughs> we won't go through all of them. I feel like I'm a little bit of all three, though, because mm-hmm. I don't ask for help either. I'm always like, I can do this, I can do that. I can figure own. it out, yeah. 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 I do the same thing. Um, I think it's part of because another marker of imposterism is feeling like a fraud. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you admit that you don't know something or yes. that you need help then that's like out like quote unquote outing yourself and yeah. saying, Oh, I am not supposed to be here. They're gonna figure they're gonna figure it out that I'm not supposed to be here. Right? Like a lot of folks feel like, oh, I just got lucky getting into a certain school. Or I just I, I just got lucky getting that particular job. Um and so you kind of like work really hard, but at the end of the day, you still want to stay under some level of the radar yes. just so that you <laughs> don't ever out yourself as a fraud and that you're not supposed to be there. And so, I, that again, that's something that a lot of folks um, have when they have imposter syndrome. That is so interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one thing that I want to lift up is that sometimes it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Like, it may change. So, like, I may have, you know, had imposterism when I was in college, but then I become a professional and I may still have it. It just may look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, at one institution I was at, I, I literally had um, a professor who later on I found out he went to Cambridge and Yale. And oh. so I think that's why he was approaching me the way he did. We had a meeting about... Um, about something, and I was called to attend the meeting. Um, I worked with every underrepresented group on campus. I worked with black students, queer students, first-gen students. Mm-hmm. I worked with students who were um, going through Title IX cases. I worked with athletes and consent. I did all these things, and so I was called to this meeting to give my expertise, right? And so when I came in, most of the room was filled with uh, upper-level level administrators and faculty. Um, as we were waiting for other people to get get there, he came in, he introduced himself, asked who I was, and he said, why were you invited here today? Oh, my goodness. And I just didn't know how to answer that. 
Um, and then the lady next to me, a white woman, um, looked at him and said, uh, why were any of us invited here today? Or something like that, kind of trying to break up the 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 energy in the room. Because I think she saw my face. Yes. And so um, I just, I told him, I'm here because of this. I had to like muster up all the positivity and the <laughs> decorum, quote unquote decorum, yes. um, that I could to answer this man who outright asked me why mm-hmm. I was I was there. And later on when I was um, telling my story to uh, another coworker, um, she talked to me about how that professor is and that she, the coworker, she's a white woman. She's like, I've had issues with him as well. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's just elitist because he's going to these institutions. I don't know if he does this only with women, if he does this with people of color, if he's just, you know, arrogant with everyone. But I say that to say that imposterism and imposter syndrome never stops. Even if I were to, um, even when I got this job, I was like, oh, they wanted me. <laughs> Right. Like they wanted me. Um, And so it's something that I have to always be reminding myself that I deserve to be somewhere. Mm -hmm. But how do you combat imposter syndrome? Mm. Um, I combat it with just knowing that I don't know. I just reassure myself that I'm supposed to be here. Um, I usually take a look around the room just to see who I'm in the room with. And um, not in a comparison kind of way, but just like to observe the environment. Um, because I always want to be conscious of like the people that I'm around. And then um, I just reassure myself because I think that one thing that is my biggest issue, I'm always in my head about everything. Um, so I do little tips and tricks to like calm myself down. Um, I just repeat, you belong here. You're supposed to be here. Um, they wouldn't have invited you if not. Like you, they they may see something in you that you don't see in yourself already, and that's fine. But um, this situation, this meeting, could help you figure it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, affirmations are really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, repeating that you belong here, having uh, sticky notes up in your room, or yes. all those things are really powerful. But I heard you say that, you know, you're always in your own head. Mm -hmm. And so one thing for me, and I know you mentioned community earlier, um, admitting out loud to other people sometimes is very helpful because they're like, oh, you feel that way? I feel that way, too. Mm -hmm. And so because a lot of the times we think we are we are the only ones like how I said, like, I don't want to be found out. So I'm going to fly under the radar. Um, But admitting admitting out loud to your community is also really powerful. Um, And it does put you in a vulnerable state sometimes, which, again, who wants to do that? But um, it does put you in a vulnerable state. But I I do try to name it um, when I am experiencing those things. And along with that community, I also have like there are certain friends that I know that I can go to for certain things. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a friend who is very encouraging. I have a friend who's going to remind me who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some mentors. I think mentorship is very, very yes. important to have someone who's um, already walked through what you've been through. I think that's super important. And so those are just some of the ways that I've tried to um, combat imposterism. But I also feel like 
I don't want to say it's never going to go away. I don't because, mm. you know, who knows? Like I'm, I'm in my 30s, so I don't know how it's going to be in my 40s or 50s. And so um, as of now, it hasn't fully gone away. And so it's always that constant and consistent reminder of who I am and where I belong. And I, I think everything happens for a reason. I think you end up where you're supposed to be for a reason. And so I always have to remind remind myself of that because even um, if I look back in my life and think of all the times, like when I first got out of college, I got a job that others said I did not deserve. But... Um, it gave me some really good experiences. And later on, when I went back to get my master's, all these things that I had got experience in, it helped me to complete my master's. Oh, wow. And so I'm like, oh, that's why that's why I was in that space. That's why I got this job that I quote unquote did not deserve. Yes. Right. And so you have to it's like hindsight, like we say, is 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you have to keep reminded, like, I'm in this space for a reason. I'm in this space for a reason, you know? Yes. There's always a, a bigger purpose to why you are there. I always, when it comes to like mentorship, I always rely on the faculty, especially the faculty here. Um, you know, I work for the BMSI. Mr. Gary is my biggest supporter. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would do without him. Um, always supporting me in so many different ways and encouraging me to do things. Um, he has put me in rooms that I never thought that I would ever, 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 ever be in. Um, and that is so, cause it has triggered my imposter syndrome. I'm just like, I don't know if I should, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm, a, I don't know if I need to be here. It's like, no, no, you are supposed to be here. I wouldn't have suggested you if you weren't supposed to be here. Um, and I also want to speak to believing in yourself and your capabilities mm-hmm. because you are who you say you are. Mm-hmm. So always believing that you can go that extra mile. I'm not trying to dig into my workaholic. <laughs> but dig away. You I understand. You are enough. You are enough as you are in your present moment. And you don't need to do anything more to be able to sit in this room. Maybe look over the notes a little bit. But, you know, what you have already is enough. And you are there because of what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I have this, um, this quote here from... Um, Dr. Maya Angela. Um, it says, I have written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. And so when I saw that, I thought that was interesting because um, she's a she was an amazing woman. Yes. Um, everything that she did I thought was amazing. Yes. And for her to feel like yes. she was not enough or that she was a phony it's it kind of solidifies the fact like okay everyone may feel this at some point in their life but despite her feeling like that she said she was what on her 11th book at the time of this mm-hmm. quote so even though she was feeling like a phony she persisted and so i think that's something to be um that i admire about her and so it's something that i try to think about like okay i i don't feel adequate in this moment but i'm going to keep going because I don't know who's looking at me. I don't know. I know. I don't know who's behind me. I have nieces and nephews. And um, the first time they went to um, a college campus, I was the one who took them. And so all of that is super important to me. You never know who's watching or the impact that you're going to have um, on someone else by you just being you and pushing through um, in that moment. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
I also, it reminds me of um, over my little summer moments, I was watching, uh, it's not Love, Simon, I think it's Love, Victor, mm-hmm. and um, it was a quote that somebody said to him in the TV show, and it was like, brave is not being, um, doesn't mean that you're not scared, brave is just doing it while you're scared and pushing through those emotions, so mm-hmm. that's what it, it was. That is so powerful because I would have never expected that from Maya Angelou. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. This is a good conversation. <laughs> okay. So we're going to wrap it up, but do you have any, um, I don't know, any tips or any last words that you want to impart upon the people who are listening about mm-hmm. imposterism? Let me think. Just to reiterate that you are enough, like, how you are, because I know that the perfectionism part, it's like you want to make sure that you want to dot your I's and cross your T's, but it's like we're human, and we're going to be making mistakes, and that's okay. Um, Your present moment, who you are in this present time, um, what you have been invited into the room for, um, all you can give is yourself, and that's all they're asking for. So just always remember that you are enough and you have everything within you. So, Wow, that was great. I don't even have to add to that. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much. You. All right. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it, and we will see you on the next one. 